Welcome to Pillar and Ground Podcast. I'm Brian Salter, lead pastor at LMPC, and this episode is a Pillar and Ground Confession episode where we seek to further understand and apply the truths in our Westminster Confession of Faith. We're glad you're listening and joining us. We're in chapter 10 of the Confession of Faith, Factual Calling. And as is now our custom, we're doing this together, both me and Will. Welcome, Will. Thank you. Uh, Will Nettleton. Uh, many of you should know if you've been a listener, he's a pastor of... Um, He's our pastor, pastor of worship and mission. <laughs> One of those things, mission and worship. I, to- outreach, I totally yeah. blanked on his title. I have. Uh, he's a pastor. If he's you look through preacher. our documentation at the church, it's not completely consistent. So I think we're. He's one of the guys. Uh, he's one of us. Yeah, we love him. Um, we're at Westminster Confession ten point two, and um, let's. You want to just read it to yeah. get us going? Yeah. So just by way of reminder, we're talking about uh, effectual calling. So we're move. We've moved into where we're talking about um, the historical redemption aspects, the the accomplishment of redemption. We've covered in previous chapters God's plan, His authoring of it, and now we're getting into more of how it is working uh, in us. And so effectual calling is this chapter talking about God's effectual call of us, that we mm-hmm. are saved because God is doing a work in us that is uh, effective. So let me read. This is 10.2, the modern uh, version here of the Confession of Faith. This effectual call is from God's free and special grace alone, and not from anything at all that God foresees in man, who is entirely passive in it, until being made alive and renewed by the Holy Spirit, he is enabled to answer the call and embrace the grace offered and conveyed in it. Boy, that's good. Yeah. Um, what's the shift of focus here? We go yeah. from the first paragraph, which was really a big chunk of right. uh, doctrine, to this second paragraph. How does it build on one another? Yeah, so really from ten one to ten two and 3, we're moving from the general description of God's sovereign and effective call to a more particular look at the people that are summoned uh, to salvation. So we're getting back to that conversation of elect and non-elect. But ten two really focuses in on God's free and special grace alone as the source of our effectual calling. Mm-hmm. And really what 10.2 is addressing is an idea that's really popular uh, in some streams of Christian uh, theology, that idea that the whole you know predestination question can be answered by, well, what really is happening is God is looking down the corridor of time. He's foreseeing the people that would choose him, that would respond to him in grace, and then he's kind of retroactively working working backwards and then choosing and calling those people. And Westminster here in 10.2 is saying, absolutely not, because mm-hmm. that would make salvation contingent upon something in us. It would not be a gift. It would be a reward for mm-hmm. something that God saw in us. And the scriptures are very clear that God that God's salvation is all of grace. It is a gift to people who do not deserve it. It is unmerited favor. And so that whole idea of God could look down the corridor of time and see future faith in us, that would be merited favor. He would be, we would have earned it by our belief. He would have, it would have been something future for sure, but it still would have been something in us that caused God to do it. And so what Westminster is trying to say is, no, God is completely free. He is uh, free to do this, mm-hmm. and, and that's how it works, that it is of his own free and special grace alone as yeah. the source of our effectual calling. Yeah, so uh, 
he has no obligation to us. Correct. And that's part of the wording there, free, special, grace alone. Mm -hmm. So how does Scripture shed light on the confession's claim that a person cannot answer God's call until being quickened or made alive, renewed? Like, yeah. It says that particularly, right. we read it, but he's able to answer the call. Yes. He's entirely passive in it until yep. being made alive and renewed by the Holy Spirit. He's unable to answer the call and embrace the grace offered and conveyed in it. Right. And this is where we go back to the discussion that we started last time in 10.1 of the, this effectual call. What actually is it? And this is where it, it probably would be helpful if we had our shorter catechisms out where you get those really clean summaries of what is effectual calling it is that thing we talked about last time of that renewing of the will, the enlightening our minds and the knowledge of Christ, all of, uh, all of those pieces. So, and that all comes from the Scripture. Uh, it's important. I mean, we've said it many, many times, but I always want to reiterate, like, the divines are not making this stuff up, right? Like, right. This, the confession is a summary of what the Scriptures teach. And so if you get a copy of the confession for yourself, you're going to notice there's proof texts everywhere. there Because... One of the things that got asked of them was, can you show us your work? So on this particular question, where do we see in the scriptures that uh, a person can't answer God's call until they're made alive? So 1 Corinthians 2, 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So we need the Spirit of God. In our, in our flesh, without God at work in us, we can't understand it. Paul, that, Paul there is... You know, he has that whole section in 1 Corinthians where he talks about the foolishness mm-hmm. of preaching. It's foolishness to the world because they they can't understand it because they don't have uh, the Spirit. But it's life, you know, mm-hmm. to those of us mm-hmm. who do. So Romans 8, he also says, You, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So you have to have uh, the Spirit. We have to be made alive to be able to answer any of this. And then Ephesians 2, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So it's really just important to come back to that piece of, this is not something that we can stir up in ourselves. Dead mm-hmm. people don't raise themselves, yeah. right? That's not generally how, how that works. Someone has to come and bring us back. Or even if, you know, how Jesus talks about us being born again, mm-hmm. how were you born the first time? That wasn't your idea. That was somebody else's work, right? Like you didn't choose to be born. You didn't choose to come into the world when you did, to the family that you did. Yeah, That was something that happened before you. Um, this salvation, the new birth, works the same way. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I grew up Baptist. Mm-hmm. so Me too. I think this doctrine helps us to know dead people don't walk down aisles. That's right. You know, there's altar calls in the Baptist church, but I think sometimes we think, I made myself alive when I got up and went down to make a decision. Right. And maybe you don't come from that background, so you don't even know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. But I know there's a lot of us that do. Mm -hmm. And the thought is, I got up. Yeah. I went down. Dead people don't get up. Dead people don't go down. Dead Mm -hmm. people don't make decisions. The reason you got up, the reason you chose, Mm. is because you were made alive. Yeah. So... You walked, you chose, you you made a decision because you had life breathed into you. Mm-hmm. So uh, speaking of that, mm-hmm. if we don't answer God's call, that calls of no use to us. We might worry maybe we'll miss God's call. 
How, some people may think, well, what mm-hmm. if I what if I don't answer the call? What if I mm-hmm. miss it? Mm-hmm. How does Scripture assure us that all of God's children will answer God's call? Yeah, I mean, I think the the beauty of the whole system of doctrine in the confession of faith is that it's the perfect God who's doing all of this, and He doesn't miss any of His people. Mm-hmm. I mean, so you think about what Jesus says in John six. He says a couple of different times, "All that the Father gives to me will come." And all those who come, I will never cast out. There is no one. It is actually not possible to miss the call. That's what the scriptures teach us. You can't do it. If God is effectual, that's why it's effectual calling. Like it will accomplish um, what he said, what he sends it out to accomplish. And for those who are his, what it is set out to accomplish is to bring you back to him. Mm -hmm. So you actually can't miss it uh, Mm -hmm. if you are supposed to hear it. And in fact, I used to say when I was an RUF campus minister, students would often ask like, what if I'm not, you know, what if I want to be saved, but I'm not predestined and, uh, or I'm not one of the elect. And I actually was always quick to point out, I understand the anxiety. That's actually not a biblical category. There is no one who is righteous. No one seeks after God. So if you want to be saved, something has already happened in you. Like some God is already at work in you, which means God is drawing you to himself. And so this is just a, as a pastoral note for, I know many of us have, you know, friends who are not believers, family members who are not believers that we worry about, like, what if they want to, but they're not predestined. Our God is a good and gracious God. That is not a category that exists. He is not going to send anyone to hell that doesn't want to be there. And anyone who wants to come to him is that is him at work. It's a sign of his work. It's a sign of his work. I mean, that's that's what's happening there. I mean, we grew, you talked about growing up Baptist. I did too. We spent so much time in John chapter three, you know, and the the language of you must be born again. I think about how often I heard that as a kid. But John three is actually one of <laughs> one of the great reformed chapters, if we want to think about it. One of the basis basis for all of the reformed doctrine. If you study John three one through eight closely. Uh, G.I. Williamson's the one who points this out. You're going to notice that it's there that God is the one that Jesus is talking about working. Mm. You're going to see the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit as what the theologians call prevenient. That is, it precedes all spiritual activity of man which pertains to salvation. You must that thing I was saying a minute ago of when you are born, mm-hmm. that's the work of somebody else. Mm-hmm. When you're born again, it's the work of somebody else. It's uh, it is accomplished by Him alone. It's mysterious. You mentioned either in this episode or maybe it was the last one, the Holy Spirit's work and the wind blows where it will. Mm-hmm. You can see its work, but um, it we don't always know where it comes, comes from. Um, so all of this is coming from, just to go back to that question, it's coming from the scriptures. When yeah. we talk about this stuff, it's something that we see. And so what I would say to those who would be holding to what theologians call uh, Arminianism or, or that idea of, um, that what we are describing mm. in the Westminster Confession of Faith is inaccurate, that we actually choose God doesn't force salvation on anyone. I think you have to work really hard to make sense of that when you come to some of these passages, when you come mm-hmm. to Ephesians 2, when you come to John 3, when you work your way through Romans. There's just the overwhelming testimony is that God is the one who saves. Mm-hmm. And that's actually really... Just really, really good news. We're going to talk about this more in the next section, but um, we are not able to do this uh, on our own. We need God to work, and the testimony of the Scriptures is that He does. Some people hear this as harsh news. Right. This like you're totally unable and you're a robot, which we've Mm -hmm. proven that not to be true in the divines. That's why they handled free will in chapter 9 to show that's not true. 
this is so comforting on so many fronts. I love what uh, R.C. Sproul said, and um, I'm going to read it. It just said, let's review the formula. Regeneration precedes faith. You don't have to have faith in order to be born again. Now, listen to that, please. (laughs) You don't have to have faith in order to be born again. We're going to come back to that, so, so listen to that. Rather, you have to be born again before you can ever have faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the necessary condition for faith is regeneration. Mm-hmm. And he goes on to say the Arminian believes just the opposite, that you have to have faith before God will effectively change you. They put the cart before the horse. And at issue is whether God's grace is operative or cooperative. Mm-hmm. It's operative. Right. In regeneration, effectual calling, and justification. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's good news. Um, I think some people would hear that and say, you don't have to have faith in order to be born again. And their alarms are going off right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think they're worried about that. But it's, it, I mean, we're looking again. I mean, I think we're pleading, look at the scriptures with us. Yes. Because what it what it says is that God is going to have to work. You must be born again. I mean, all of these things are dependent upon God's prior working in Mm -hmm. us. Yes. Well, that's uh, 10.2 in effectual calling. And we'll look forward to moving ahead with you and studying Westminster 10. So please join us. Mm -hmm.